welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on our FM station in New York, and our listeners on our two fabulous Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Today's show is brought to you by VisitDelcoPA.com. And we're going to start off with a great interview about the catering industry with Max Hansen Caterer. And then we will go on to talk about great Delaware County cheesesteaks with Delco Steaks. And we're going to end this fantastic episode by talking to a friend of our show, Charlie's Crepes. Chef Gene, introduce our fabulous guest. Well, I'm going to start off before I even introduce this wonderful chef with a quote that I found on his website that sums up his philosophy and what he teaches so many of us out there in the world. And the quote is simply, for us, food is a way of life. It begins with farm fresh local ingredients and ends with a little taste of heaven. So with that, I want to introduce a gentleman farmer, an amazing culinarian, an amazing chef, and just an all-around role model and great guy, Max Hansen. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gene. I'm, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Max, I had the opportunity to watch you cook, um, you know, starting up in Bucks County uh, with your smoked salmon business and then moving down into the Constitution Center. And I had firsthand opportunity to watch your, you know, your taste, your flavors, your style, uh, a man who could add more butter than ho- to holidays than I ever thought possible, and a man who could do more things with pork belly that'll blow your socks off than anybody else. But Max, you weren't born that way. You weren't born into the gentleman farmer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to where you're at, and uh, and what your education is? Well, um, food has always been a, a very important part of my life. Um, you know, I, I always reference, reference my grandfather as being a remarkable influence on me. He was, uh, he was a true gentleman farmer, had a beautiful property, and we, my brother and I, would uh, basically learned how to grow vegetables and to can vegetables and to prepare things from age-old family recipes. And, uh, you know, so he was a huge influence. He's also the first person who took me to uh, the Italian market to De Bruno's when I was eight or t- ten years old. Literally, before anybody knew there was a, an Italian market in Philadelphia, my grandfather was going there to buy cheeses of all sorts and beautiful olives and uh, you know what all sorts of different specialty uh, foods. He he was I I call him the original locavore, and I think that that is uh, he's um, made such an, a huge important, uh, been such an important influence in how I source food and whatnot. When we would have uh, family meals, we would go to one butcher, uh, Moresca's, over in Ringo's that was famous for 
you know, just old school, two German brothers who uh, were just amazing butchers and would butcher his, what uh, the meat for him. He would go to one apple orchard for apples and a second apple orchard for cider. And uh, so, you know, these are the kinds of things that uh, made a huge, uh, you know, impression upon me as a young culinary, you know, as a, a pre-culinarian, I would say. Well, you took, you know, a different route than a lot of culinarians growing up to. You did a lot of research going into culinary school, and you chose a school that, you know, was not the mainstream culinary institute, not the mainstream Johnson & Wales, but you went to New England Culinary, which had really a great reputation and produced magnificent chefs, but was very low-key. How did that all come about, and what got you up to New England Culinary? Well, it's very funny you asked that, that, and you also referenced the word research, because uh, I literally went to the Firestone Library in Princeton, which was about 40 minutes from my house, and was trying to find look up culinary schools. And this was probably the very late you know, uh, late 70s, maybe, yeah, it was the late 70s. Um, there were so few culinary schools. There was obviously Johnson and Wales and the uh, CIA, and there was the California Culinary Institute, and I think there was one in Baltimore. But I was uh, drawn to the New England Culinary Institute. I, I was, a, I, ironically, a classics, I was studying classics at uh, Vassar College for uh, three years when I, I sort of got hit over the head by uh, the food business and my love of food. And my I felt more uh, productive in one week in the kitchen than I did in six months of uh, studying, you know, art history and classics. So it's the somehow the size of the New England Culinary Institute appealed to me. Um, there was a wonderful chef there, Michel Laborn, a Frenchman, who started the school with... Uh, Fran Voigt and a couple other people, and he had a, I'll never forget, I went up there for an interview, and he said, if I want you to learn how to uh, uh, butcher a chicken, I'm not going to show you on some screen. You're going to butcher a case of chickens, and if I don't like the way you do that, you're going to butcher a second case of chicken. So uh, that really, that approach appealed to me. It was extremely hands-on. We were running restaurants Literally, some some of us for the you know I mean I had a great deal of uh, experience at that time working on Martha's Vineyard and some great restaurants, working in uh, New Hope, Pennsylvania, where I grew up uh, at Mother's, a classic restaurant back in the day. Uh, I worked up in Maine at a snack shop called the Osprey's Nest that became a pretty good restaurant. Uh, came a, became a very good restaurant. It was literally uh, like. Uh, crab rolls and hot dogs and whatnot. And then this wonderful chef uh, came in and uh, really turned it into a world-class restaurant. So I did have experience going in and I did research because I knew that I really wanted to hit the ground running. Well, you certainly did that. And, you know, later on in your career, you actually had an opportunity to go back and, and, you know, spend a little bit more time there in a different role. You came back to Bucks County after either working at many locations at all, and you started early on with your business with a product that a lot of people would not necessarily associate with Bucks County or a little bit different. But for those people who don't know Max, Max makes a salmon 
a smoked salmon unlike anyone else in America. It is just the perfect combination of savory, a little bit of sweet, and it's just so moist and delicious. Um, tell us how the, the salmon business came about. Well, it's it, that's a it's a huge part of who I am and who we are, and uh, you know it started actually on my single days off, and I say that as I used to work six days a week in Manhattan, uh, first at uh, Memphis a restaurant, a Cajun and Creole restaurant on the Upper West Side, and then I had worked had the great uh, pleasure and honor of working with Thomas Keller at Raquel. Uh, before he moved out west to open uh, the French Laundry. And I also worked at the Plaza Athene, uh, Le Regence is the restaurant, um, with the Rostang family and, uh, you know, just amazing opportunities. And actually, I should say, uh, more importantly, at uh, Le Regence, Sota Kuhn was the sous chef uh, for Danielle Belude. And unbeknownst to everybody but Sota Kuhn, Danielle was not going on vacation, but he was planning to open Le Cirque. And so I was hired at that time, and uh, I was young, and uh, I had some experience, but that's almost a bad thing in a kitchen like that because they, they, they just beat the hell out of you. I mean, I learned so much, but I also learned that you learn more by somebody teaching you instead of hurling things at you or uh, you know, reading you the riot act or screaming at the top of their lungs. It's like that's no way to instruct or teach somebody how to do something. Well, uh, that's, you know, the style that I always took from you in the middle of a crisis, no matter. And, you know, with time I spent with you, we were producing dinners for 800,000 and you know, just doing phenomenal numbers at the Constitution Center and other locations. And you were just always calm and cool and collective in the kitchen. And there was no screaming and yelling. I should say there was no screaming and yelling from you because that's not the nature of our industry. There's lots of screaming and yelling at times. But you were always very calm and just stay focused and produce that. So, you know, something I genuinely respect because I, too, have had a few of those plates tossed in my head and know what that feeling is like. Yeah. Um, just, um, I, it occurred to me I didn't answer your question about the smoked salmon. So... I, I would go to Zabar's on these single days off. I would go to Zabar's. I would go to Bernie Greengrass. I would try their smoked salmon. And it always seemed either too fishy to me, too salty to me, too greasy to me. Too, it just didn't taste like, you know, what I really thought uh, good smoked salmon should be, which is more like a, a Scottish smoked salmon. It's it's much more delicate uh, We've always done uh, with similar because of that style. We've always done a dry cure as opposed to a brine cure, and it re uh, results in a more, much more silky, buttery uh, texture and flavor. And uh, you know that that all started up at the New England Culinary Institute when I went back to teach. And one of my former instructors, who was then we were both running the Elm Street Cafe, he was doing lunch service, and I was doing dinner service. And we, I found an old Scottish smoking manual, and we started fooling around with it, and we came up uh, we, with a really spectacular recipe. So, uh, you know, through trial and error, and God knows how many hundreds of thousands of pounds of salmon, you know, 30 years later, uh, we, uh, we really have it down. Um, 2002 Food and Wine named us their favorite smoked salmon in the country, 
And uh, I also uh, wrote a smoked salmon cookbook with Chronicle Books out of San Francisco. So uh, it is definitely a big part of who we are. I'm, I'm sitting here and uh, our listeners can't see this right now, but I'm like, where's my smoked salmon? Because <laughs> I'm like, that sounds amazing. I should have brought some. My mistake. Well, having had that salmon numerous times, I can attest to really the amazing quality of it and the amazing quality of all your products. I have been blessed throughout the years to go to tastings that you've been attending or bridal shows and as well as, you know, do events that you were chefing and you know, a little bit about that whole world. So, you know, early on or, you know, in, in your career here in Bucks County, when you came back down here, you had the opportunity to move into the opening of the National Constitution Center and take over a role as, you know, the executive chef and that led. Tell us a little bit about those days and, and what it was like to go from, you know, the small caterer in Bucks County to, you know, thousands of people a week. You know, it's all about multiplication. And that's the way I looked at it. It's like doing many, uh, You're. it's a little repetitive, but you're doing, instead of trying to, uh, you know, like, do a huge batch of something. You, I, we did numerous small batches of things, and may it may have taken us a little bit longer, but I think that's how we kept the quality. Um, I'll never remember, or I'll never forget. Maybe that was a, a funny slip of words there, but the uh, first large event we did was we did at the Apollo of Temple uh, for a, uh, a, a software company. It was fifteen hundred people. And uh, so that was our first sort of big step from doing, you know, even a couple hundred people, 500 people, 1,500 people is a, a big first step uh, to that the next league. And uh, we executed perfectly. We served the food. We Everybody freaked out over the quality of it. We didn't have an exit strategy. I remember opening the uh, the truck the next day, and it's like a, a hurricane went off inside the truck. <laughs> So I learned very quickly that what we're what we we do is uh, besides produce delicious food in uh, huge you know uh, huge quantities, uh, we also uh, we're a logistics company. We're all about logistics. It's like catering is we're the army. If we do our job correctly, we come in, set up, execute, uh, clean up breakdown and the next day you don't even know that we were there so that is something that people don't really associate or pe- people don't really consider when they're thinking about you know what it is that a catering company does it's like some of these large events um, and and yet you reference the National Constitution Center that was a master class in how to handle, repeated large events night after night after night and that was just i mean that that was the best education of my life i can that's all i can say uh you know we ha- happened to have a fantastic kitchen and because we were sort of the new act in town we attracted some really wonderful people from some other very strong catering companies and uh you being being one of them and uh so we were very fortunate to attract an incredible team because this is all about teamwork. It's like if you don't execute as a team, if it, it's I are my the business, although it's been Max and me and now Max Hansen Cater, 
it's not I, it, it's not ego driven. It's like I thank the people that work for me every single day, every single one of them, because without them, I couldn't accomplish any of the things that I've done. Well, and I, and I can honestly say I see a lot of those people still out there in the world. Some have gone on to start their own restaurants locally or businesses locally. You know, and, and you were back then the teacher and the mentor to so many and so many people learn, but you know, it was nice to see that teamwork and that idea. And whoever had an idea, if it made sense, we were going with it. And it allowed, you know, you to do many things. So I mean, you know, to go out and, and be put on a train and to cater the you know, Bush campaign training, that's a feat in itself. To do the inaugural balls that you did, the inauguration for Governor Rendell, you know, a little bit of those events. Is there any one or two or you know that really stick out as wow, that was just so significant? Well, the you hit it. The first one would be the um, the Bush campaign train. At that point, we were doing all the work for Union Pacific Railroad at the uh, what's now Lincoln Financial Field, the Eagles Field. And the, that was a huge parking lot at that point. And they brought in all these amazing trains from all over the country. In fact, they wasn't just Union Pacific, but exquisite trains that uh, they entertained all the delegates. And so we were there when the Bush campaign asked us if we could then go on and do this. And we're like, no, it's impossible. How can we possibly do this? And, and within that same loop se- sentence there, it's like, well, of course we have to do it. So I remember pre-computer and pre-phone, you know, phone, smartphone and whatnot, I was a yellow legal pad man. So I had my yellow legal pad and I had all of the food that I had to figure out how we would get it from our kitchen to Western Maryland where we were loading the, uh, the food onto the train and uh, and and who was going to do it? Because everybody was who was working was down there servicing the Union Pacific Railroad. Uh, we were doing the Tom Delay train, and we were doing food in the Comcast Center at that point. So it was like I remember we did more dollar work in one week than we did in my first three years of business, and uh, we knocked it out of the park. But the train was really that was my the most exciting thing and the most. Uh, challenging and exciting and rewarding uh, event uh, that I I believe I've ever done. Um, you know, we at the very end of that we got to meet the governor. At that point, the candidate, Governor Bush, and uh, that night all the people. This was in uh, Chicago, and somehow the press, the Bush team, and the Max Hansen caterer team all ate at Gene and Giorgetti's, a fantastic steakhouse. And uh, the, the first that Bush team came by and they gave, thanked us and said, what a fabulous job we did. The press, who we had been feeding primarily, made a circle around our table and gave us a standing ovation for what we pulled off on that train. That, I will, that I'll nev- never forget that as long as I live. You know, the, uh, and then, of course, the Ed Rendell's inauguration was just, how do you have 600 people working for you for one night? Um, that was a team effort. That was all of the my former partners were had every bit as much involvement in that as I did, and couldn't have done it without. You know, I I did I pulled off the culinary side of it, but that was just one piece of it. It was a huge, 
you know, multi-headed a hydra, multi-headed monster. And we had uh, literally we had 600 people work that night. 600 people got paid walking out the door. It was uh, that was, and it you know that was an amazingly uh, challenging but so rewarding experience. It's like to walk out on that floor at the Philadelphia, uh, the Harrisburg um, uh, farm com- farm show complex. The building had just been um, renovated, and we were in the uh, animal washing station, and everybody was aghast. But no animals had ever been in there. It was spotless, painted. I was man, uh, you know, managing fifty-five cooks just to feed that crowd, and I'll never forget, you know, the the challenge. But once again, that was multiplication, and that was a yellow legal pad, and that was actually getting on the computer, writing up all the instructions for each single item, how it gets put together, who's going to do it, where they are, their place in the kitchen, and. Uh, it was really cool. I mean, it, whatever what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and hopefully uh, brighter. <laughs> I was gonna say through Gene, I've actually met several different caterers, and like just hearing you you talk about what you've been through and what you know what you do, it it's it astounds me not only how regimented and how on top of things that you have to be, but like you know that you can cater to that specific need. Like if somebody wants to hire you. You know, you can cater to them and meet whatever need that they they have for you. Uh, well, we work so, so closely with our clients. We just had a massive wedding on uh, Saturday that I it was like 175 people. I think we serve more food to them than we did to events for 500 people. <laughs> they and and they ate most of it. They had a lot of leftovers. I think they had one or two fridges filled with leftovers, but. You know, it's just we we everybody who works with us cares so much about what they do, and it's like we've separated the wheat from the chaff. We years ago there were people who were just doing it for the sake of a paycheck or this or that. We've you know those people are no longer with us, and right now the the team that we have, you know, the uh, uh, my assistant Pam, my chef Tom, uh, his assistant, and uh, you know our sous chef Pete. And Raquel, who's been with us for 20 years, these are without those people, I don't exist. And I, you know, I, I, I thank God for that every single day. So fast forward a little bit to you know 2020, 2021, and 2020 in, in a pandemic. You make a decision to do something in the middle of a pandemic that is mind-boggling to many, but really, you know an amazing project and that is you know the opening of a whole entire new venue coming up in the future in the princeton area can you tell us a little bit about that and give us some insight into what this phenomenal venue is going to be like absolutely we um i actually it's been a couple of years in the making so i started uh you know working on it pre-pandemic um and but the pandemic obviously was very challenging because it meant you know as we were literally weeks from closing on this property to you know once the pandemic hit you know that funding disappeared because all of a sudden everybody's holding on to their pennies and dollars and uh, so that was very challenging but what it enabled us to do 
is to look at the building that we had designed and to realize that, first of all, we needed to bring the project cost down. Well, that's ironic when all of a sudden all of your uh, raw materials are going through the roof. That's, so that's a little something we learned, you know, the hard way. But we have a, we, d- we created a, des- you know, we did a redesign and we have a much more impactful building. I think it works so much better in the Princeton community. Um, the Princeton community is an amazing so, small city is what I would call it, uh, surrounded by pharmaceuticals and Bloomberg and other amazing, uh, you know, na- national corporations. And there's no dedicated catering venue in that area. So we've done, we do more than half. Since I left uh, the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, we do at least half of our work in the Princeton area. And so we have been, you know, I've been working on this building. It's a 25,000-square-foot 20, uh, building. It'll hold 300-plus people. Our commissary will, uh, kitchen will be in the basement. All of our uh, storage and all of our uh, offices, bride's room, groom's room, everything uh, uh, will be in under one roof which is really exciting. We have a liquor license already purchased for the project, and uh, we have some amazing vendors and uh, the incredible Bob Hillier architecture uh, architect is the the designer of this amazing building. So uh, with uh, God willing, we're going to uh, get a shovel in the ground within the next couple of months. And uh, we should be up by the end of 2022 or ready for a full uh, 2023 season. That's that's what we're looking at. That is so exciting. So needed in that area, but, you know, so wonderful for us who truly love great quality food. Um, and before I get into your tags, I you know, want to give one shout out to you, uh, you know, my wife and I every so often will joke about hitting the lottery, and she'll always say, you know, what would you do if you hit the lottery? And the first thing I say is, we're going to throw a really large party, and Max Hansen is going to cater it. <laughs> she would say, you know, well, all the caterers you know, I said they could all come as guests, okay? But Max is going to cater it because I want Max's food, you know. So, uh, you know, thank you for being part of this. Max, if people want to learn more about your cookbook, your salmon, uh, obviously your catering company, and follow along the progress of the venue. How can we get more information about Max Hansen Catering and you and, and you know, tell our listeners how they can get in touch? Uh, the easiest way to do that is to uh, just go on our website, www.maxhansencaterer.com, and that's uh, – uh, M-A-X-H-A-N-S-E-N-C-A-T-E-R-E-R.com. And are you on socials? Yes, I do have uh, a Instagram page. We do have a uh, uh, Facebook page. That's Those are primarily the two uh, social media, um, you know, uh, ways of communicating that we work with. Thank you. Thank you, Max. So, Max, one final question before we leave. If you had one quick bit of advice for anyone who wanted to get started in this wonderful industry today, what would it be? Go work for the best person you can possibly find because that's how you uh, – that's, you know, my mentor, uh, Thomas Keller of uh, Raquel and Per Se and the French Laundry, he's the reason that I cook the way I do today. Absolutely. 
Well, that's one hell of a pedigree. <laughs> right. You know, to, to, there's not a lot of people who can say that they worked under Thomas Keller. Yes. And I know your relationship with him. So what a wonderful thing that is. Max, thank you so much. We look forward to having you on again, talking more about your project and about other things that are going on in the world um, about, you know, local vendors and, and, you know, a lot of the people that you're using. Thank you so much for being with us. It's always an honor to talk to you. One final shout out. If it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't still be here. (laughs) Oh, that's a good shout out. Yeah. That's a shout out, and it's so true. (laughs) And if you go to the website, folks, when you look at the pictures of the food, there's a really good possibility that she took them. An amazing (laughs) photographer in her own right. Yeah, uh, without you know, every uh, man is always uh, is uh, always as good as they are because of the woman behind them. <laughs> <laughs> thank Th- you so thank much, you, Max. My pleasure. Thank you all. All right, <laughs> thank you, Max. Enjoy dinner. <laughs> Let's take a break. Sponsored by VisitDelcoPA.com. Food Farms and Chefs is brought to you by Visit Delco PA. Don't make a plan this weekend. Make all the plans in Delaware County, PA. Try some arts and crafts by taking in a play at one of our renowned theaters and discover what's on tap at the amazing Delco craft beer scene. Or you can enjoy a bit of rock and roll by exploring the beautiful stone waterfalls at Ridley Creek State Park. And try out one of the famous Delco Steaks, voted Best of Philly Cheesesteak for 2021 by Philadelphia Magazine, and maybe get a little wild and free by biking, hiking, or strolling through the trails and gardens throughout the county and walk in the footsteps of those who fought for independence at Brandywine Battlefield. This weekend, you can do it all in Delco. For more information, you can go to visitdelcopa.com. And we're back! Chef Gene, introduce your fantastic guest. Well, at this time, it's an great opportunity to introduce the COO of the company voted best cheesesteak in Philadelphia by Philadelphia Magazine recently, Steve from Delco Steaks. Steve, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Such a great pleasure to have you. And I have had your steaks, so I can certainly understand their rating. Hey, thanks so much, G, for having me on. This is a great opportunity to talk a little about what Delco Steaks is doing our product and uh, just, you know, happy that people enjoy our steaks just like you. Well, so I first discovered Delco Steaks. I was involved during the pandemic in a group that, a uh, small group that decided to try to find and do some great research in the best cheesesteak in the region. And we traveled from Atlantic City to Delco to North Jersey, you know, to Bucks County. And people kept talking about Delco Steaks, Delco Steaks, Delco Steaks. So my partner and I, Jeff Berlonger, from uh, the Philadelphia Cheesesteak Tour, had an opportunity. We came down, and we met you guys, and wow, just kind of blew us away. You you were actually the the number one cheesesteak in Delco uh, on our list, and you were in the top ten overall. And then, uh, you know, due to particular sub- or circumstances, we have not had an opportunity to nail that down. But you guys make an incredible quality product. How did you get started in the cheesesteak business? What what drove you to open up Delco Steaks? Yeah, um, so we uh, we opened up March of 2020, and actually this day of the stay-at-home order by Governor Wolf, um, and kind of just, um, I don't know, me, my brother, and our partner, we just uh, had an opportunity to buy, uh, 
purchase a building and um, we said, what, you know, what are we going to do with it? We're all coming from food backgrounds. We weren't in the food industry prior. We were in different areas. We got out. We just uh, joined in and um, decided to open up a cheesesteak spot. We wanted an authentic cheesesteak spot. Um, and no disrespect to any pizza shops, but we wanted a place where we focused only on cheesesteaks. Um, and we wanted the best ingredients possible. And uh, that's just what we wanted to do. A simple menu, but with high ingredients, high quality. And here we are now. Um you know, in 2021, and, uh, you know, we keep growing. Right. You have a couple locations now. Um, you have what I think is one of the great mascots going out there. I, I think I put it right up there with some of the Philly sports team mascots in, in the bowl, which is dressed in Rocky attire I love so much. Um, <laughs> and you've also become a big part of the community for charity and doing things like that. Uh, we have had you, you know, been down to a couple events where you had a great cheesesteak eating competition recently to benefit a charity. You were down when we created the world's largest cheesesteak in Philadelphia to celebrate coming out of the pandemic. Um, you guys are just really a community feel. Was that something that was just natural for you or, you know, did you, okay, you know, we're going to do this because it's marketing. I mean, I get a feeling that you guys are really community, you know, deep rooted. Yeah, we are. I mean, um, you know, I volunteer a bunch of organizations. I've come from charity background, um, nonprofits. Uh, you know, my brother, partner, John, they're on the community school, bo- school board. So we're just, you know, we, we want to give back. I mean, you know, we're all about making money. We've we we got to make a living for our families, but we want to give back as well. We, we gave out over 3,000 cheesesteaks during the pandemic to first responders, teachers, um, and then we kind of just built off that, partnering with different organizations, American Cancer Society, Headstrong Foundation out in Delaware County, um, different charities to where, you know, we just wanted to give back. And we never thought we would take off like this. I mean, we knew Philadelphia loved cheesesteaks, um, but, man, do they really love cheesesteaks. It's, it's, it's crazy, and, uh, we're, you know, we're just embracing it. Philadelphia does love cheesesteaks. And in fact, um, you you also had your bowl, and I believe you were par- a participant of that gigantic cheesesteak that happened, you know, in South Philly. I, I definitely have a picture of that of your mascot too, uh, in front of in front of the cheesesteak. <laughs> that epic cheesesteak. Yeah, yeah that, that was an awesome so- event. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what sets your cheesesteaks apart from, you know, and again, I don't want to say the pizza shop or whatever, but what sets your cheesesteaks apart from, you know, others? Because you certainly do produce something that is amazing. I mean, you know, of the many, many, many cheesesteaks that we sampled over many months, uh, you know, you guys were easily in top 10 of that and and actually in, in the top percentage of that. So, you know, what what do you do a little different? Now nah, we and we appreciate that. that's that's a huge honor for us to only being in the cheesesteak game for a year and a half. Um, so we, we we really sampled it. We didn't just open up, you know, blinded. We we sampled it. We just tried different meats, um, different products, different roles. We changed our role uh, from a concha hockey bakery to Karanji bakery, um, different cheeses. So um, you know, we we wanted a, the perfect cut of a cheesesteak. Um, and we, you know, we never wanted to change our meat. Like you, know, you, you hear, you know, uh, some companies they start off good and they change their meat for pricing. We understand the, pr- you know, prices have gone up astronomically. 
especially with the pandemic, we just had to raise our cheesesteak prices. We don't we don't want to cut corners. Um, and but the good cheesesteak people are going to pay for it. We were hesitant at times, like oh man, how how, how can we cut costs? We brought in a culinary director, and he you know his main job was to help us cut costs. But we're like we do not want to mess with our cheesesteak. We got to figure out different ways. You know, it's got I mean raising prices. We got to raise prices, but um, that's what it's all about. And that's what we tell our cooks: we're going to provide you with good ingredients. We just need the consistency. We want a consistent steak each and every time you, you come um, and try it. And that's what we think we you know sets us apart from everyone else. I want to say that I can see on your menu that you also offer a glute, uh, like a gluten free option for your cheesesteaks. So. You know, we do have listeners that you know have dietary needs, and so I just want to point that out too, because that's something that not every cheesesteak place has. So that sets you off a little bit too, where you're you know you're catering to a dietary need as well. Sure, yeah, and, and people were always asking when we first said we didn't have it, and you know we sat down six months or a year review we're like you know how, how can we expand our menu we did kids meals almost like happy meals from mcdonald's but it's, it's in our box our logo we, we added the gluten-free bowls loaded fries so different options just to vary off of our cheesesteak i mean obviously that's our number one seller always going to be but we wanted to give other options too since we don't do pizza wings stuff like that so uh but yeah i mean gluten-free bowls are something that uh sell pretty frequently at our shop now I also saw that you might be opening um, or that you have a mini golf location. Yes. So we um, are opening a mini golf at our Folsom location, the old Charlie's Hamburg, iconic Charlie's Hamburg building. Um, they ended up moving a few years back. So we just took over that lease and uh, we're opening up the steak shop, but it's also going to serve ice cream and we revamped the um, mini golf. It's going to be called Delco land and it's, all 18 holes of different towns in Delco. Um, we have different murals of schools that painted their art programs painted of their school in town. It's just, uh, it's an incredible spot. Uh, again, it was an existing 18 holes, wasn't in use for 50 years and we just, uh, made it come back to life. So it's, it's going to be really cool. That location. Delco is such a community too that's going to just embrace that, and, and obviously you jump all over that. It's it's a it's a really unique place. If people aren't familiar with Delco County, it's you know a very 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 unique uh, location. So you recently were honored by Philadelphia Magazine. Did you you know how much notice did you get ahead of time that hey you're going to be uh, you know best cheesesteak in, in the region? You know, like that had yeah. to be an interesting call. It was unbelievable. We got we got a call from uh, one of the editors, um, writers of Philadelphia Magazine. They're like, you know, they featured featured us last year in 2020 with about about other ten other cheesesteaks places, you know, places to watch out for. Um, and then this year they called. I mean, maybe a month ahead of time, and you know, we were taken back. I mean, hey, we we strut around that like we we have the best cheesesteaks. We, we want to believe that. But when you're actually honored by others, um, and um, like. Again, I always say when, when someone chooses you to be that, it, it's a lot better than when you it, it's a vote. You know, you have a lot of people voting. Like you, when you guys did with Jeff going around doing a great calls for veterans, um, you guys were actually tasting the cheesesteaks, all the people just voting. So we take those honors a lot more serious. And, uh, yeah, being best of Philly uh, was a huge honor for us. 
It is definitely an honor. It's a def um, and it's an honor like being able to taste something made with so much, you know, love. Um, what can we look before we let you go? What can we look forward to coming up outside of the mini golf? Yeah, so we have that location opening up next week, uh, and then we just had our debut at Wells Fargo Center on Friday, this past Friday, and we broke the Wells Fargo Center cheesesteak record. Uh, we sold just under 500 cheesesteaks, Airmark, and Wells Fargo were blown away. They couldn't believe it. Um, we actually have our own workers in there, our own meat, our own bread, which is pretty uncommon. Um, a lot that of people is very uncommon. Yeah, when you go in, you have to have their stuff. That was our biggest – we said we aren't going in unless it's our product. Um, and we're able to have about three staff members with the help of some Airmark um, employees who have been great. They've trained. They've listened to us, our way of doing it. Um, the leadership over there for Wells Fargo Airmark have embraced us. And it's just like another shop we have open because it's all authentic. It's our stuff. And um, it's a lot of fun going down there. Tonight's our second Flyers game. I'm uh, working a few kinks out and, you know, again, you got to pick up the um, the quantity of steaks. It's going to be a lot more and a lot little time than at one of our shops, but we don't want to lose our quality. So um, it's been a challenge in trying to figure out, you know, how do we not lose our quality, but get steaks out faster and uh, we're learning and it's, it's a really cool location. So anyone listening, please come check us out. Section 124 Center Ice for Flyers, Sixers and concerts at Wells Fargo. And where can we find you on the web and on social media? Sure, yeah, we're at Delco Steaks on um, Twitter or at Delco Hyphen Steaks on Twitter, and then on Instagram and Facebook, it's just at Delco Steaks. Uh, we post a lot of stuff about upcoming things, and DelcoSteaks.com is our website. And um, you know, we got a food truck, so people can call us, and we will come out to your event. We will bring Pappy the Bull, uh, <laughs> so it's. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank So so everybody is very clear too. It's not a sexist organization in the fact that Pappy the Bull is one of the most adorable young ladies you'll ever have an opportunity to meet. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go on the record of saying that she's phenomenal. So. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I love Delco Steaks. Let's take a break uh, and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either Food Farms and Chefs at yahoo.com or dining on a dime at yahoo.com and we're back amorous pollock introduce your fabulous guest hey everyone i would like to introduce you to charlie Corey, who is the owner of charlie's crepes in merchantville new jersey um i have been going to you for a while at this point and i love your crepes and if anybody is out there and thinks it's a crepe, it's so filling. <laughs> so, Charlie, thank you for calling in. Yeah, anytime. How are, how are you guys? Good. How are you? Good, good. Sitting on my back deck looking at a beautiful sunset. So life is good. <laughs> so wh- why don't you update our listeners, give a quick um, synopsis of like how you got started in, the, in, in making crepes? Um, so in... 
2003, my wife and I got married, and we went to uh, we traveled all over Europe for our honeymoon, and um, we ended up spending several days in Paris and, and eating what is essentially street food um, off of pretty much every corner for a couple euros, uh, and we'd get our crepe on, and uh, we'd either do that or get a baguette and a bottle of wine and just go hang out in one of their beautiful public spaces and um we fell in love with them there and then we went to the we traveled to the south of france just uh north of nice and stayed in the logit um and we ran into a family there and, and the grandmother said well what did you like about your travel so far we were like well we love just kicking around paris and you know, eating all this, this great food that's readily available and, and, you know, not too expensive. And it's like, well, have you ever made a crepe? And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, I, I've, I've, you know, thought about it, but, I, you know, we, we've just really gotten introduced to them here. And, and she's like, so she wrote down on a piece of paper a few simple ingredients. And, and that's kind of where we started our, our crepe adventure, um, my wife and I, uh, in a little jeep just north of Nice. That sounds amazing. And and I yeah. know that you brought it over initially and you found a hot dog cart that you converted into a creperie. Yeah, yeah. My my friend Joe Gentili, who uh, owns Local Links, had several hot dogs. He was he was the the hot dog man out in uh, Haddon Heights and. Uh, he he helped me get the cart and uh, get started, and uh, I bought the um, Crampoots burners, which are, are French crepe burners from. Uh, it was actually imported from from France. My burners, which run on propane for the cart, and uh, took it down to um, Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, it's, it's, it's called something trailer. Uh, but I, I could look it up. It's right on the back of my cart. But uh, they they hooked up the they modified the hot dog cart and put the burners on there. And it runs on propane and is very self sufficient and self contained. And we did markets and uh, and events for a number of years until the pandemic hit. Yeah, and I know. I mean, I do know that you will probably resume doing the market, the pop up markets again. But you have your brick and mortar location, which is more of how I know you from. Um, although I think I had one of your crepes at one of the pop up markets at you know pre pandemic, um, which is where I initially was introduced to you. And then we moved yeah. into, yeah, and then I met you again at uh, the brick and mortar location. And I mean, when <laughs> when I describe like, or if I can even begin to describe the deliciousness of the crepes that you make, you know, you get very creative. You obviously, you have the ones, you know, your, your staples. So I've been to France enough times, so I know like it's addictive to go and get pano chocolat. And, you know, from one of the little carts, which you brought that over and added bananas, you know, as well as some other fruits. So you have staples like that, but you do something that I don't see at other creperias in, in which is the savory ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like I tell people, um, uh, the, the 
foundation is in France, but the heart is in Spain because I really, I really, really dig on um, the the heat of the Spanish flavors, uh, the, the the chilies that you can soak in apple cider vinegar with garlic. You can make a nice mole, or you know, I, I really, really, really like those more savory flavors that you know you add a little sage to that base and you you mix it in with some ground pork and suddenly you're talking chorizo so it's like that base of chilies and you know you can go out out to your garden and you can get the fresh habaneros uh, uh, jalapenos and scotch bonnets and you can mix that all in you know you fire roast all that and you mix it into whatever you're making and it's going to be it's going to take you to a happy place you know what i mean so if i could put and i mean if you think about it if you really really think about it a crepe is basically a burrito <laughs> you know what i mean just it, it, i mean maybe a little less thinner on the on the crepe so i i think that it takes an extra skill to get it to fold together yeah, it's a little. It's some, it can be a little thinner, and it, and it's uh, you know a little more delicate. But like, it, basic basically, whatever you put in there, it's gonna assume that that uh, that mantra of flavor. So you know, you could do sweet. Sorry about the airplane. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> fine. In, Coming to you live. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, you could put all that goodness into it, whether it's sweet or savory, and it's going to, it's going to shine through, um, with whatever you're making. And, and the, I, like I, I tell people all the time that the crepe is just sort of a vehicle to, to get you where I want to go on your, on your culinary adventure. It definitely does. And, you know, I, I have to say you with, with, uh, your culinary adventures, what are some of the crepes that you're working on right now? Because I know you get very, very creative. So, <laughs> um, you, you had mentioned earlier, like some, some harvest, uh, some harvest. Yeah. With the vegetables and stuff. Butternut, butternut squash, squash. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could, it's so simple to, 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 you know, cut up a butternut squash and roast it in some olive oil and, and, you know, you add some, uh, cranberries to that and, you know, maybe some walnuts and, and drizzle it with maple syrup and brown sugar. And you're talking about something that, you know, you, you put that in a crepe with some Asiago cheese and it's, it's, it, it can become a really nice standalone or, you know, you could augment that with, you know, some roasted turkey or whatever you want to do this time of year. This time of year is awesome for food. <laughs> it really, really is. It re- so, yeah, um, especially because you you also work with the local pur- purveyors of like farmers and whatnot, so you really can get creative because you can bring everything in fresh and you know and yeah yeah. My wife she'll take like a, a cheese pumpkin, which is the more the flesh tone colored pumpkin, and she'll make a she'll hand roast them herself, you know, and cut them up, and then she'll make a beautiful custard cream with those fresh roasted pumpkin so then we offer like a a pumpkin custard dessert with homemade ginger snaps and and, you know the ginger snaps have like lemon in them lemon zest and fresh ginger and you know we're making everything from scratch that that we possibly can um and uh it's uh it's exciting to to be able to offer that to our our customers and our customer base and um you know bring them 
something fresh and seasonal and you know that that they're only going to get this time of year or in you know in when it's strawberry season they're they're going to get those fresh market strawberries that time of year you know so yeah we're trying trying to keep it real and the peaches we do a vanilla bourbon peach with candy pecans and salted caramel so you know we, we we try for for the season we try and use what's available fresh and good and i think if you're a home cook i think if you can use what's available what's fresh and what's good you're you're going to be taking those steps in that right direction as far as your your cooking and, and what you're doing for yourself yes you will and you know Speaking of like what's fresh and what's seasonal, um, you you and your wife started a garden that's um on your property right next to Charlie's crepes. So you literally can pick things that are fresh for your herbs and, and whatnot. Oh, it's so nice. Going out and grabbing some fresh thyme for, for a chicken dish or whatever you're making, you know, it's like I occasionally on on um on Sunday when they have the football games, I'll, I'll stuff some ancho chilies with cream cheese and wrap the whole thing in prosciutto and just bake it off and offer that as a free compliment if you order a crepe. And, and that's her, her thing is at little blooming garden on Instagram. And she, last night she hosted a, a, an event where you got to uh, dig out a pumpkin and, you know, she t- showed everybody how to set uh a mason jar in there with a little bit of chicken wire and design a floral arrangement. So everybody who came walked away, you know, with easily what they paid for, for the uh, seminar in flowers. And plus they got the knowledge and they got the uh, assistance of her. And actually she's talking at Eclipse Brewing tonight, um, giving a, a talk on uh, how to enrich your soil. Uh, so she's involved with like the local, um, the local gardening groups of Merchantville as well. Well, since you're talking about things that you're also involved with, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your musical background? <laughs> well, uh, Suzuki violin at you know, five, six, uh, American boy choir school at sixth and seventh grade in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, classical guitar my freshman year of college and uh, I'm in a band now called Lounge Act we played at the Merchantville Music Fest and uh, you could look us up on Facebook Lounge Act um, we have original songs we have we cover the Rolling Stones the Beatles uh, Wilco you know we love I, I, I tell people you know if there's a song out there about a train and you know going somewhere on a train we there's a good chance we're going to cover it (laughs) 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 and just so our listener knows listeners know some of this is relevant because um and i'm gonna have to ask you to give your social media tags uh because we are unfortunately out of time but you one of the things that draws me to you is on social media you sing and do these little skits while promoting charlie's crepes so i love that you do that yeah yeah if you want to check out what we do how we do it at charlie's crepes rah rah r-a-r-a on instagram uh that's our our handle and my wife's is at little blooming garden um and our facebook page just type in charlie's crepes or for the band stuff, Lounge Act, and we have, like I said, we have original songs. I cut them to uh, 
old royalty-free videos and you know we just put them out there we we love to play and we we love to play venues and 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 events that have good sound systems and sound and it makes all the difference and uh you know we hope we hope at some point i hope to make you a creep and <laughs> to maybe sing you a song and that would be amazing um and i look forward to the next time that i see you we spoke about a uh goat crepe or a lamb lamb a lamb crepe that you're creating so i look forward to that um thank you charlie for calling thank you charlie good talking with you guys good so much Thank, Thank you. you so much. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com with an S. For more information about the show, you can contact Chef Gene, IBFoodie2 at Yahoo.com. Amorous Pollock. You can find me on social media by following AR Pollockus, or you can follow Amorous Pollock. And if you would like to be a guest or a sponsor to our show, please email me at ARPollockus at gmail.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.